Thanks for tuning in again, everybody. We're back with your favorite podcast, Lucas, Tigers, and Bronze. Oh, my. What's up, Luca Nation? We have one of my favorite accounts on Instagram here with us today, and it's a guy that I'm confident you know. You know his voice for sure. Uh, he just went through a little bit of a rebrand that shout out to the missus because I like simple, clean logos, and yours is fire. So I know she's going to be happy to hear that. But uh, it's so good to have you here. The Slab Talk. I'm going to, I don't want to butcher your name. So I'm just going to introduce you as Emil. Yeah, Emil Stefani. Good. Did I say that well? Yeah, that's good. That's good. And, and I think of you as uh, the Ryan Serhart of the hobby, so to speak. You know, uh, good looking chap, charismatic, and knows his stuff. And I believe you come from the real estate world, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start with this. You know, I was taking real estate classes one year ago today. I was kind of going through a transition stage and I decided, why not take a few real estate classes, learn this industry, you know, maybe get my broker license. I never did. But how did you get into real estate? What interests you and, you know, what overlaps have you kind of learned or picked up on that crossover from real estate to the hobby? Yeah, yeah. So first of all, I want to say thanks for having me. Uh, your Y'all's show is a, is a really fun one. Uh, I enjoy listening to it. It's uh, uh, you guys are just you guys are you guys have a good chemistry. I like the I like the differences you guys bring to the table. You guys are a great show, so I do really appreciate y'all 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 having me on because um, this is a lot of fun for me. This is the best part of it, you know, is meeting other guys in the hobby, seeing what other people are doing, and especially from a content standpoint, it's it's just fun. So uh, thanks again for having me. Um, yeah, so the real estate background. So I'm currently a real estate. Uh, broker and developer here in San Antonio. Um, and so the way I got into it, I got my license back in 2014. It was a summer actually in college. So I'd been back home. I was working on another little startup that I was working on and I got my license then. Um, and the reason I got into it is because um, I kind of come from a background of, uh, of people here in San Antonio with smiley Muslims who are very entrepreneurial. They moved here in the late eighties as, as kind of that wave of immigrants came here from India. And so my parents came here and all the people that they came with basically um, didn't have the education or, or uh, even know how to go to school and get professional you know, degrees and stuff. And so what they did was buy businesses and, and do a lot of retail businesses. So a lot of the stuff that they did kind of and the background that I grew up in is in the real estate world because they would operate gas stations and, uh, you know, the little Caesars franchisees and subway franchisees and, and, and marble slabs and things like that all those little retail businesses that you see in shopping centers a lot of the people in my community were operators of those businesses and so that was kind of my introduction growing up that's how i have this business background and, and i'm very fortunate to have grown up in an entrepreneurial setting because uh, i have that support and it's you know i get pushed in that intellectual standpoint from my own family and also other community members that we have uh, here in uh, San Antonio. What's going on, Andrew? Thanks for joining, man. <laughs> he joins from the iPhone and it says Andrew Goldberg, but it's really just Cage Lawyer ma yeah. masking himself because uh, we cannot reveal his true name. But let me ask, <laughs> at what age did they pull you into the, the family business at like 12? Are, are you the oldest child actually? I'm actually the youngest. So I have an older sister who's four years older than me, but she's a doctor. Uh, okay. And as it goes in, in, in the Indian you know community and the entrepreneurial world is that you kind of learn the family business. That's exactly right. So a, a lawyer you know, doctor of failure is what I once heard Hassan Minaj say. Oh, it's great. I, I love I love Hassan. I love Aziz. Those guys do such a great job with this, you know just being great role models and, and, and love to see brown people up on television. It's great to see, uh, but they're funny. I like those guys a lot. Um, but yeah, so I got pulled into the business. I grew up you know ca a cashier behind the uh, uh behind the cash register you know uh bringing people up for cigarettes and alcohol when i was like 13 and all the all the people all, it was a truck stop so truckers would come in all the time they call me little steve you know uh, uh, that was my dad's white name was steve and so they'd all call me little steve and so like you know that's kind of the background i grew up in and it's one that has really given me a great knowledge base a great foundation a great support system so i'm really i'm really fortunate to be part of it. And then the real estate has been kind of my take on it. So I'm really fascinated with real estate. I love the idea of building spaces where people congregate and whether it's retail or, uh, can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. He's, uh, he's yelling at me for making noise with my, uh, my microphone headphones. 
But it's, I do it. I do it. 140 episodes in, and it's still the <laughs> same thing. It's amazing. This guy is a creature of habit. I wouldn't have it any other way, Cage. Uh, it's insane. You guys are 240 episodes in, by the way. Congrats on that. That's crazy. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so my so then in 2014, as I was kind of graduating college and, and such, and I graduated from Emory University uh, out of the business school there, and I got my real estate license and, and actually started a business outside of college, didn't quite work, and then really came back into the real estate world in 2018. And since I've been a broker and a developer here, so. Kindred souls, man. I uh, My dad's name is Gennady, but a lot of people couldn't pronounce that. So his English name was G-Man. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know why it's, but I grew up as a barista in a cafe. You know, he worked his way up, eventually bought it, you know, bought it on a promise. He said, you know, I'll pay you back uh, over a year <laughs> using the profits. And it was just like the American dream. So I, my family, I'm an immigrant. Uh, I saw how hard they worked to kind of live the American dream. And I grew up as a barista and I think it was, I hated it. I literally hated it. I was 12 years old. I had to go work and be the barista, wake up early. Uh, but a lot of what I learned now about, you know, sales, persuasion, looking people in the eye, understanding how to communicate with different people in just a matter of seconds, I learned from being behind the cash register, literally just like you. A lot, a lot of hard skills that you learn when you're behind the, behind the counter that way, you know, but you're I, very similar to you. I've had the conversation with my dad, he, you know, so when are you going to take over the, the, the gas station business? And I was like, dude, don't just sell it before, before you even ask me, just don't, I I'm having fun making money, you know, trading sports cards and doing real estate. You're good, man. I don't want to, I don't want to run a gas station. Is that because you just were like, I want to make my own path? Or for me, it was, I, I saw how, how it wasn't a scalable business. So I saw it had this cap of a hundred to 150,000, but it was always trading time for money. It was yeah. always trying, he had to be there round the clock. And if he wasn't, the business wasn't running well. And yeah. that's kind of, I realized I could use the skills, but find something that's more scalable. Was it something similar for you or? Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the, I think the desire for them to get into all these kind of retail businesses and real estate centered businesses is because that was what they knew at the time. And with the advent of like the internet and the fact that you can make money online and the amount of ways there are to make money now, you're right. It, it doesn't make as much sense to me. And so that's that from a theoretical standpoint, I'm like, I, I don't even really quite understand or even believe in it anymore because even just this experience of producing content and trading sports cards, it's opened my eyes to a whole new way of just operating and, 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 and over the internet. And a lot of people my age are getting into things like drop shipping and internet businesses. And like, that makes a lot more sense to me. It's scalable. You don't, you know, you're not, you're not confined by the real estate in which you're right. It caps out. You can only have so many people buy a cup of coffee every hour. Like there's only so many people who can do that. So yeah, I, I'm right, right there with you. Um, so yeah. So a lot of our, we're going to get into cards in just a second here, but a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs and uh, this is interesting. So I've been hearing that houses are on the market for like less than 24 hours and there's a new offer and you're a developer, but you also sell properties. I'm sure money's cheap. Money's very cheap right now. What that means is banks are lending at, you know, one, two, three, four, five, very low percentages. You know, what do you see for the, the housing market? What have you seen in 2020, 2021? And how is that? What learnings are you kind of applying to the card hobby in general? Yeah. So I think about this stuff a lot, especially on the macro level, because I, I am, you know, uh, pretty uh, involved in the real estate market. And so I look at interest rates and the 10 year treasury a ton and, and trying to understand what's going on especially because since the late eighties, we haven't lived in an, in an inflationary world. And so it's really interesting because the amount of, the, the, I've read this statistic in this article uh, last week about how 25% of the total currency in circulation right now, it was printed last year. Yep. And that's an insane stat if you let that sink in, like that is, that's insane. And I think that there is an effect that we're gonna see come out of that. now. How it exactly happens and what the timing looks like and you know what what all that looks like, I don't know. But when it comes to housing specifically, it's a combination of both. The interest rates are pretty artificially low right now. Like the Fed is doing that on purpose to keep people buying and borrowing money, which is good. That stimulates the economy. It's good for us. That's why we're commercial real estate developers. We've bought property in the past year to take advantage of these, these very very low interest rates right now. So it does work. It does stimulate demand. However. 
the same time, supply is incredibly low on the housing market. You're right. Houses get on the market if they're even decent right now. And I'm actually going through this right now with my wife and I, because we're trying to buy a house here in San Antonio. And it just, and we have a pretty nice budget and it still feels like we're not finding the house that we want to live in, in the area that we want to live in. And we feel like we're giving it enough money too. And it's absolutely off right now. It feels off. The supply seems crazy. There is definitely a housing shortage. So the discussion on the housing market becomes, yes, prices are skyrocketing and that may create some sort of bubble here. But at the same time, we have a huge shortage of supply and there is demand, especially like in Texas cities right now where the in-migration to Texas cities is crazy. People are moving to Texas in droves right now. And so people are moving to San Antonio and Austin. They're very fast growing cities. And so you have this combination of high demand, but also very, very low supply. It's causing prices to go up. The stock market has been very off to me as well, especially when you start seeing these GameStop type of activities happen. It starts to feel like there's a ton of people that have been, that are equipped with a lot of cash because of the amount of money printing that's happening. And then you add in this whole, you know, stick it to the man idea, which is, I love it. Great. You know, go forward. But now you have these wars that are, I think are feeling like the stock markets is going to become a, like a battleground almost of who who has the most influence. And that's kind of dangerous to me. So I don't know what's happening. And I don't even, I'm trying to even figure out how it affects cards. And I think that's why we're seeing card prices go up. There's an element of inflation there, right? Like there's a lot of cash that's in circulation right now. And people are not spending, like when was the last time you went to a restaurant and 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 went to a bar? Like how much money were we spending before COVID at restaurants and bars? We're not doing that right now. Like, I don't know. I've saved a lot of money not going to restaurants and bars. You know? Even $5 coffees. Uh, and what, $5 what coffees, yeah. So, it's guys, a great point. It's not just food and bars, dry cleaning, yes. commuting to work, you know, yeah. I mean, all that other stuff. Everybody's doing the, you know, so all the disposable income is going into what? This. this it's crazy. Stocks. Yeah, I mean, that's why valuations of stock companies are all kind of weird right now. And even card prices are soaring. And an element of that is people just have the cash right now. So we'll see what happens. So, just real quick, federalreserve.com is a great place to go and see how much money has been printed. You also mentioned uh, people are moving to Texas in droves. Uh, they're mostly coming from California, so you guys could draw your own inferences there. But question for you, Cage, you know how um, Emil just I'm moving said- to Texas. That's your question. I'm moving. I'm going to Elon Musk's new town. He's Let's building go. a new city there around his, around it. It's got crazy funky <laughs> names and every engineer in the world is going to want to move there and everything's going to be powered by solar and they're going to be able to tweet and make stocks go up in price and, you know, fundamentals don't matter. So let's go. Let's go. All my exes live in Texas, which is why I'll hang my hat in Tennessee. <laughs> when, when the price, when the, not the prices, when the weather drops below like 10 degrees Fahrenheit though, it's chaos. So I hope you're ready for and that. Never does though. Yeah, chaos. It did last week or two weeks ago. <laughs> Chaos, absolute chaos. My question is this, and it was for Cage until he he wanted to chime in, but you just mentioned, you know, inventory on the market has dried up. I don't know if you agree with this, Cage, but really nice card inventory has also dried up on in the sports card market, right? Like it's a lot harder to get even, I mean, we've seen a post about the Charizard PSA 10 first edition, Jordan cards, but some really nice inventory has dried up over the last year too. What do you make yeah. of that? You've been in the hobby for what, 70, what's this, 70th anniversary? 73 years. Yes, I've been in the hobby 73 years. Um, and right. well, listen, the high-end good. stuff, that's the deal. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. So the, uh, yeah, I mean, the high-end stuff has definitely dried up because you have too many people in here, right? I mean, I've, I've now, it's dangerous to use the word pyramid, right? Because everybody puts the word scheme at the end of it. Um, but basically, you know, the hobby, like, like real estate, top end, you know, I mean, like anything else, um, you know, people are looking for the best stuff, right? And there's a finite amount of the best stuff, right? And if there's, you know, enough money going after a limited supply, it makes prices go up and it makes those things disappear. So we've seen it in the card market. We've seen it, you know, you'll see it anywhere really, but um, it's why people are spending $5.2 million for Mickey Mantle cards. It's why that Brady sold yesterday for $1.32 million. It, you know, there are these, you know, hot real estate areas in cards, right? It's the same exact thing. You know, we're, we're meshing uh, the two worlds we were just talking about. And, you know, when there's a certain number of these things and there's enough money in it and, and this has become cool, as long as it stays cool to flex your cardboard, or Top Shot or whatever it's going to be, 
people will 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 always flock towards the you know that that high end stuff. You actually said at the beginning of the year, Andrew, you said twenty twenty one was going to be a year where some of the 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 museum pieces just come off the market and just the supply of those dries up, and we've already seen it. I mean, I'm curious, what why you know, and we'll get to your developer arm, right? Because developer and selling houses are actually two different games. Right now, it's good to be a, a broker because there's so many deals, but as a developer, you also have to ask yourself. You know, what's the market going to look in four or five years? You know, do I believe in it so much long term? And I'm curious to hear that. But why buy a house at this time? You know, do you, is, do you feel it's a good investment? I'm, I'm curious because if nothing else, the, the housing market's probably more similar to cards than the stock market is in, in its behavior, right? Why buy a house now? Yeah, so there's a couple of ways that I would think about this. And I do mostly commercial real estate. So just as a clarification, I do mostly actually retail and office real estate. I don't actually even do it. I don't even sell homes. But uh, I, I obviously pay attention to it big time. Um, I don't. I, that's what we're dealing with right now. I don't actually think we're going to buy a home this year because I, I, we're having trouble making it make sense from a financial standpoint when renting is honestly, we're in a good spot. We've got a nice home that we like. It, it serves our needs right now. And our rent payment right now would be considerably less than the mortgage that we would have to pay if we get the house in the budget that we're looking at. And two, when you buy a house, you've got you know the, the down payment, the closing costs. And then when you move in, you you spend money on furniture and appliances like you just do, right? Yep. So we are having trouble with that. I don't know if it's actually a good time to buy a house right now. And I don't think we actually are going to go through with it. We've been talking a lot lately um, that we may not because it just makes sense for us to continue to, because the way I've explained this to my wife is like every dollar I put into whatever else uh, is one less dollar I can I can invest into something like sports cards or even I've gone into Bitcoin a little bit. You know, I'm starting to read up on that. And it. I, I want to diversify some of my investment dollars right now, and I'm able to turn it faster than I think the house will appreciate. So every dollar I put into a house right now is one less dollar I can put into a car that I think will be worth considerably more uh, moving forward. And in an inflationary economy, having these types of hard assets like cards or Bitcoin that kind of hedge against the US dollar is not a bad thing. Like that's that's why you're seeing the increase in prices. So having these types of assets right now is helpful during an inflationary economy. And so I'm having trouble making that just, you know, making that decision. But I actually think that you're right. You're alluding to something that we've had a lot of thoughts about. It's like, maybe this is not the best time to buy a house. Houses struggle. Uh, like the way I understand when inflation takes off, the buying of houses goes down and you're, if you don't have a fixed rate mortgage, your rate goes through the roof, but you know this better. How right. would, how would the housing market react? if we do see interest rates go up or if we do see a bit of inflation? Yeah, so the other, the argument against, uh, the argument for buying a house is that rates are super low. So you can lock in your rates for 30 years today and they're the lowest they're probably gonna be for the next 10 years, I would say. Um, and and the reason why I think that's, and the reason why you see that happen in the inflationary economy is because interest rates are going up. There's an adverse relationship between interest rates going up yep. and demand going down, right? So the more interest rates go up, um, the more demand goes down, which could push prices down a little bit as well. So um, that's why uh, you do maybe actually want to buy a house today. So lock in a really low rate because as interest rates go up, that makes buying a house even less financially makes sense. But now I'm going to turn this over to Cage. I know and this is interesting for me. This is what I love the, about these guest episodes is it's almost me learning. And I hope the community and the audience learns too. But I, I know money's cheap, right? But isn't it almost like, Money's cheap to buy a priced asset. Right. And because money is cheap, prices are really high. Right. And so if interest rates go up, then you are, yes, from an asset valuation standpoint, buying at a peak. Like that's what you're doing. And so that's why even in the commercial world, I've got clients that have come to me and said, there's a lot of disposable income out there. I have money to invest. Please tell me what to invest. And I'm looking at them right now being like, nothing looks good to me because in the retail world, you've got a ton of businesses that have been given you know, runway uh, from their landlords or whatever it is. Banks have worked with landlords, but the business itself has actually been suffering big time. And so when everything kicks back in, it's gonna be really interesting because they all went through their cash reserves. Does that mean that leases over the next five years turn over and therefore you're buying product right now at really high prices? So I agree, like if interest rates go up, demand comes down, prices come down, all right, then what are we doing buying right now? So. Cage, you've been through really two cycles similar to this, right? You had the, the dot-com era, the dot-com boom, uh, when you were collecting Beanie Babies, and you had the subprime mortgage 
crisis of yeah. 2008. You know, how are you preparing? What are you looking at? You know, are you sitting on cash? Or are you doing? I mean, it's a great question. I got a question for you two guys. Do you guys know what sports cards are? Sports cards are collectibles. Okay, good. So, um, do you deal in sports cards at all? I like the review a lot. I prefer Top Shot. Um, I just don't, I'm not a believer in the sports card hobby long term. So I'm just digital collectibles, and I'm gonna nice. have a showcase in my room. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, so to the um, to the 98 of our audience not currently looking to lock in a 90 day mortgage rate. Um, I was hoping the slam talk when when the people came to you and said, "Hey, what looks attractive right now?" I got people with money. Your hair. Gonna, Easy. Your was, hair. No, dude. I was hoping we were going to spin it right to, you know what I'm telling them? I'm telling them businesses don't look good. These guys are overextended. The landlords are working with them. So I'm telling them all invest in Michael Jordan. I was hoping. I was waiting. I was like, on, I was waiting for you to like roll it into like, all right, you know, we got all this fun stuff. And I'm telling them the only thing that looks attractive is sports cards. But you didn't. And half of me, I, I'm listening to this. And listen, great stuff, you guys. I mean, great because... Because I'm making a joke about the sports cards, right? But really, what you're talking about is money. And Andrew does a very good job of this, right? Because you have to remind everybody, so much money is being printed. You can't lose, you can't lose fact, uh, you know, inflation and how that impacts what's going on. You can't lose, and you brought in the, that we're all using whatever disposable income we have now on cards because we're not going out, we're not drinking, we're not eating, you name it. So I guess my question to you is what you're talking about in the real estate market, what you're talking about in the investment market, does that also apply to cards right now? Should our audience be thinking the same way? Should they be thinking, wow, you know, this is a money thing, right? And money is cheap right now. And is that causing the prices of cards to also be inflated? And maybe think about, you know, exiting some of those, whether it be Top Shot, Andrew, or, or you know, Cardboard itself. I mean, you know, there's more to it. We can all get on here and talk about how Ken Golden is right now live blowing up eBay and blowing up pwcc that tom brady card that 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 was sold yesterday he's he's claiming they photoshopped it really he is yeah right now he's live going insane but i think more important to our our listeners here is you know what do you see man you obviously have your finger on the pulse of what's going on with like investing markets the real estate market you name it if you were you know heavily invested in cards right now is now time to take some chips off the table what do you think so um, I actually recently had an opportunity to get in on my first commercial real estate deal where I'd put some money in and I would have a nice cash on cash return because interest rates are low. And I've decided I'll let my investors take it and I'm not actually going to put money into it. I have my commissions coming out of that deal. So I've got cash coming. Uh, that's how I make my money is, is, is brokerage commissions right now. And I decided to put it into cards and I've taken my money out of the stock market and I put it into cards. I love it. Listen to that, guys. Listen, here's a guy making deals off of cash, off of other people's cash, yeah. has a chance to get into a commercial real estate deal and says, no, I'm going to take my money. I'm going to take my talents to South Beach and I'm going to take my money and I'm going to put it into cards. Go for it. So there's a couple of ways that I think about this. I don't know the future. I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm not going to sit here and say the right thing is to do this certain thing. I do think that there's, you know, there is an element of the card market that's maybe slightly inflated right now. And especially in the modern market, if you've got a ton of money there, I would constantly be selling that. I would be moving my portfolio. That way you're staying safe, you're taking profits, and you're not overextended to yourself. Hopefully everyone that's listening, and if you're not already, have yourself cash reserves so you're, you're, you know, you're staying safe. But don't overextend yourself. Don't over leverage yourself to get into cards right now. Um, but... The reason I'm putting it to cards is because I believe in the demand. So yes, there are going to be some markets. Say the economy crashes tomorrow and you see a ton of markets go down. That doesn't mean that everything goes down. There are parts of the world that continue to go up because of the change. It causes change. It causes transformation. So it's not like everything goes down and it's not like everything just absolutely crashes. Maybe everything does in the short term, but what happens over a longer period of time is I do believe in the demand that I'm seeing in sports cards, like the energy that I'm seeing in sports cards, the amount of money that's coming to it right now. I do truly believe in it to the point where I'm not really investing in real estate because I can, I think I can turn my cash faster in sports cards and do something I absolutely love while I spend an, an enormous amount of time watching basketball. Like I already do that. So for me to, to buy basketball cards is the most natural use of my investment knowledge all this like stuff i have in my head like this is the most natural use of that 
knowledge. By the way, isn't that fun? Isn't that? I mean, how how many people want to spend you know time besides going to like you know Omaha and sitting in a Berkshire meeting, which is like you know a pilgrimage thing? I mean, how many people want to sit through quarterly meetings and read ten Ks and ten Qs and pick? But no, you know, if you want to invest in uh, Demar Derozan, you're watching that Spurs game anyway, right? See the shirt. Dude, it's the best, man. This is the best hobby because of it. Like, I'm just doing what I love, and I get to make money doing it, right? And like, that is absolutely like it's made me question if real estate makes me happy because I'm like, holy shit, this is what it means to like wake up and really truly enjoy what you do. Okay, and it's taking See, I didn't like have real that. I didn't have that until I I got to wake up and do a podcast every day with this character over here. Mm-hmm. That's when I finally woke up and and realized I love what I was doing. It's but a no, beautiful man, feeling. You've hit it right. So, so what do you think? Because of that attachment, because of that love, right? Because people love it and they're making money off of what they love. You think it's almost recession proof, or you think you know it's something that may go down? But, but you know, people's psychology, you know, people are still gonna be in it. Talk to me about that, because this is what I want to hear. Psychologically, I feel like what the hobby has given people is a way to take control of their money at with a hundred dollars. There's nothing that you can invest in right now, other than like stocks with a hundred dollars. But who likes unless you're if unless you're spending a ton of time looking at stocks who likes doing that i don't know anybody who likes doing that most 98 percent of people who invest in stocks do it as part of like their 401k or part of a retirement plan they're not doing it because it's fun they're doing it because it's they're told it's the right thing to do right it's the the, the thing that goes up over time and so much more passive much more passive and for us people who are sports fans, it's the absolute best thing to be able to say okay not only like if you actually watch sports and you're investing in sports cards there's real talent there. Like you can take that knowledge and use it to make money in the sports card world. And for us, we're going to be looking for alternative investments. The idea of alternative investments for our generation of people is a real thing. Like it's going to be real because it allows you and I to take control of our money in a way that we've never been able to take control of it. And this whole idea that we don't want to work for someone else, we want to take control of our own money, that's going to continue to go up. And and that's the whole psychological aspect behind the blockchain technology and and NFTs, it's that is decentralized. People can now don't have there's no higher power that tells you this is how you're gonna make your money or this is how to make money. And that's beautiful. That's how the world should go. We should be able to take our money. And if we've got the talent, we've got the knowledge, it should be more of a meritocracy. And the hobby gives it that. It gives you a it gives you a vehicle to do that. And I think that's really awesome. Like I think that's why I believe in it. So I, I, I mean you roll right into it. What do you think of NFTs and hobby? Have you have you have you dabbled the top shot at all? Yeah, I've downloaded an account and I've tried to, I've gone through the site and I've tried to buy packs. Packs are always sold out. So I don't even know how to deal with that. The (laughs) marketplace makes no sense to me right now. (laughs) So just because everything's really expensive. Like you try to go buy like a LeBron moment right now, they're ungodly expensive. And I'm not of the believer that you have to, I do believe you have to have an emotional connection to the actual NFT itself. Like if the token itself is going to succeed, you know, what I do think is really interesting is, is dibs because it takes NFTs, but attaches it to the knowledge that we already have to sports cards. And it, it it's backed by the hard asset of the actual sports card. I actually like that idea of NFTs considerably better than actually the making of a new NFT, which is what Top Shot is, right? Um, whereas like dibs, which is, you know, a new program that's coming out. I think that's really fascinating from an NFT standpoint because it fractionalizes cards, which should only increase demand. Again, like that's awesome. To be able to fractionalize a $100,000 card makes it so much more accessible and it, it only will spur demand because the lower you have to put into a certain card, the easier, the higher the transaction volume, which is good. We want transaction volume. Right, liquidity. So I, yeah, liquidity. So I like the idea of dibs. I'm, I don't know about Top Shot. I've tried. It's not really fitting with me. And it's not, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't fit with what I like about it or what I like about investing. And I don't, I want to make money. I don't care about, like, it feels like it's a lot about the money right now. I do feel like that. And I heard Adam Lefko and Verno get on their live and talk about a uh, Top Shot. Um, and they talk about some of this stuff. I just don't know if it's real. Like, it doesn't feel real to me. I don't know. Cage, I'll jump in and, and I'll share, maybe this will help you understand kind of the Top Shop marketplace, right? So when it first started, uh, Cage and I would just hop on, you know, on January 9th or January 8th and just buy a pack, as many as we wanted. Packs, we cracked open their moments inside and we just let them sit in our account. Then with this influx of new users, there was so much more demand. So those moments became worth some substantial money, like almost, you know, 40, 50x. Uh, and we could sell those moments and reinvest back in the marketplace. 
So doing that, we never felt like we were buying a Lamella moment. We were just reinvesting our profits into a Lamella moment, which is a huge, big, huge deal. Now with this increase in demand, the only entry point for a common person into uh, Top Shot is through a pack moment, sell them on the marketplace, then reinvest. So if you don't get a pack, you have no entry point. You're not going to spend $50 on like a Ricky Rubio series two moment. Like that's the cheapest moment. And that's $50. What are you even going to do with that? What are you going to turn 50 into 55? Well, I'm saying you're a 10% return, but so it's like, Right now, there's no real good entry point except for a pack for people. But I wouldn't think of marketplace as dollars. I would think of them as tokens. Because if we just circle back, Cage and I, we invested, you know, $500 into packs and that turned into 30,000 worth of tokens. That's not real US dollars. No investment does that. That's just tokens that now we can play the arcade game with. That's Mm. how I see it. I don't know if other people see it like that, but I, I hope that gives people a little bit of understanding of what's going on. That's that's a really interesting, I've not heard it described that way. So I really, like, I appreciate that perspective because I have not. So, and I think that's right. Like if you got in early, you're sitting on house money right now and it's just fun and you get to, and, and you can really play with it. But if you're coming in even just a little late, like it's only been, like, what is it? I, I read that 90% of the money that's been spent on Top Shot happened in the last one month. Right. And so if you, if you were getting in after that one month, which is me, like I'm getting in after all that. And I didn't buy the packs like you did when they first came out. The entry point, you're right. It just like, I, I, and the entry point being hard to get in, I think is a problem because it's going to turn people like me away who want to give it a chance. I really truly want to give it a chance, but the entry point doesn't make any sense. And I think that's a real, they got to figure that out. Like they got, they got to get packs out more. They got to, they got to keep people there. Like while they have this like attention right now, I hope they figure out a way to keep people there because I, I I can see the appeal, but I just haven't been able to get in. You know. Well, make sure you try today because I got a three pack. Try. Like Hundred eighty thousand. Yeah, but there's the three more. I got one. Okay. They're, they're taking sixty thousand people out of the line. There'll be another hundred and thirty thousand okay. to go. You should. You have like a ninety percent chance. Look, they only have like hundred eighty thousand packs in this one, and there were two hundred thousand people who did it. So there will still be people who can't get. Those gonna be really. That's like the unlucky ten percent. Nice. So you should have like a ninety percent chance of getting a pack in in those next two drops. Let's hope. So I'll, I'll work see. on getting a pack. I, I want to see what it what it feels like to even start transacting on it. So I, I'm gonna try to get a pack. But Kate, but let's let's flip yep. it. Let's say today you get a pack of meal. It's actually kind of fun. Let's say in that pack, you know, you have uh, a Tyler Hero moment, uh, Anthony Davis moment, and Dame Lillard. Not nothing crazy, but you could turn that fourteen into. And I don't know if all those moments are going to be in this pack, but just $14 into 500 marketplace bucks. Now you have a little bit of something to play with, right? You're in at 14, so you could be a little risky. You know, maybe you buy one moment, maybe you buy five Bradley Beals, but it gives you a head start. It gives you a place to start. Uh, I I think it's interesting. All your points are spot on. I think they need to start figuring that out. Cage understands it a lot better than I. I'm just. You know what I like? I like Heritage Auction putting a post up today like, hey, you got shut out on packs? Well, buy your moment here on our, our auction. And Heritage has two Top Shot moments for auction. And it's weird mm. which ones they are. They have one is um, a Trey Young at a 7,500, number 99. So it's a, a decent low number, but nothing crazy. And I think, you know, it's a couple hundred bucks. And you know what other one they have, Andrew? They have the Kobe, the, the, uh, the LeBron Kobe tribute dunk. No, they don't. Yeah, numbered out of 1,000. Number eight twenty four. That's so oh, that's the dual true. jersey number eight two four. That's okay. I have eight seventy five. So let's go. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it's cool. But but what I like is that eight twenty four is kind of cool. Yeah, it's a cool. That's it's cool. a cool like I dual. Eight twenty four and eight twenty three are very cool in that moment. So yeah, but I mean, so I like that it's becoming more mainstream. Right, that uh, you know, it's you know the the absorption that's there. Golden's gonna have them and and that kind of stuff, and we'll see what happens over All Star Week. And all it's gonna take is, um, you know, LeBron wins the the All Star game here, and at the end they go in the interview, and instead of him saying, you know, I'm going to Disney World, it's like, hey, you see that last dunk, you know, that last game when he shot, let's top shot that, top shot, make a top shot moment out of that, and I'll buy it, and then forget it. It's gonna be like it's already yeah. that it's it's one thing away, and what's funny about that is. To everybody who says I'm too late now, 
you're going to feel really too late after that happens. You're still yeah, potentially yeah. getting in it before that moment happens. I mean, right now you got Josh Hart and Terrence Ross and, you know, I guess maybe Hal- Halliburton is enough of a name, but it's not LeBron or any of those guys. But when one of those guys says at the end of the game, me and Kevin Durant are going to swap top shot moments instead of jerseys, I went a different direction in my head. Sorry. <laughs> How do you guys think that's – affects the card market like how do you guys do you th- how do you guys look at it I, i'm gonna turn it on to you a little bit because i want to hear i know this is y'all show i'm sure y'all talk about this stuff on your show a lot but um much to the chagrin to of some of our purists so it's funny the s has it impacted right so i just assume there's room for everything i love that it came out because look i have money in it and i've said this and i truly do mean it if if my investment in it goes down to zero we've gotten enough legs just for content and talking about it and you know spending time on it and just you know having conversations like this with somebody like you um you know and some guests we've had on that are specifically in top shot um that it was already worth it it was a cool science experiment for for lack of a better way of saying it um but i will tell you it's very polarizing you know we have instagram groups chat groups where it's just you know our vintage guys and, you know, they're like, all right, we're going to, you know, if this is going to be another Top Shot episode, we, we don't want to hear about it. You know, like it's, <laughs> you know so, so I think that's the extreme. I think that, look, you know, like anything else, right, you diversify your portfolio, whether it's in real estate investments or, or, or the like, you know, I would say I would put a piece in this, you know, a little bit, whatever you're comfortable with. You know what I mean? I wouldn't get overexposed to it, but I put a little bit in it because, you know, there are some folks out there who think this is the future. I don't know whether or not it will be, but there are folks out there that think it's in the future. And the dibs thing, I finally got off the wait list yesterday. Oh, um, nice. So that was kind of cool. Um, you know, kicking it around. I, I have to get more comfortable with the pricing of it because, I mean, I saw a Russell Wilson card. I was like, oh, maybe I'll get in this. And it's it's literally like seven times the price of what you could buy the card for on eBay. And I'm like, wow, oh, really? this is weird. And I, I understand how fractionalizing things causes the you know price to be up a little bit. But but to me, it's like buy a seventh of this card. And then I look on eBay and I'm like, uh, for the price of what you're going to ask me to get a seventh of it, I could buy the whole card. So to me, yeah. that's a little wonky. Um, but I'm still doing my research on Tibbs also. That's that's another fun part, right? There's so much stuff going on in this space, right? That's why I believe in the whole market. Like, guys, this the amount of money, the amount of tech that's going in to the space only means that even whatever happens over here economically, like I still believe in the space. I still believe in the space, you know, because there's just so much going on. I think it. there's deals. I think there's deals in the card hobby right now because people are so top shot heavy. Like, right. So people will, will say that a PSA 9 Jordan will never be really the card to get, but you saw that card hit 100 and then drop to 50, literally to 50. Right. Uh, so I, I don't know if, you know, Warren Buffett says uh, the stock market's the only place where people panic when you can buy a, a, a security on a discount. Well, that's a 50% off discount for the best card. So one thing is that sports cards have really, they haven't dipped, but you have opportunities to buy in. Second thing I'll say, and I have to say this about Top Shot, and my money's in there, uh, and I'm not loaded like Lawyer Cage here, but if you look at penny stock promoters on Twitter, they're behaving in a lot of similar ways to the way the NBA players currently are behaving with Top Shot. So it's exciting when you're, you're in the stock and Stan the Man is promoting it. Amazing. You're really happy, but you don't know when it's going to hit the ceiling. And I'm in a day trading course and we're big on uh, taking profits when you can. So I I will say that I haven't played around with dibs at all. I think fractional sharing is going to take the ceiling off of really, really high, really, really valuable cards. Like today I got in first fractional share I've ever bought was a Ted Williams PSA eight card today, which I just think is such an iconic card. And I got in for, that's a $32,000 card. Like I think really iconic cards are going to go through the roof in the next few years. But then you're also going to see like the egg card, right? You're going to see all of this speculation, right? That's all it is, right? There's some people that are investing into like, just like a Mickey Mantle PSA 9. There's three of them. That's an investment. That's iconic. That's artwork. That's a separate category. And also you're seeing this lower end of the market where people are just guessing, checking like that you would on a test and you see a ton of speculation. Uh, I put Top Shot and the egg card in the same exact category, regardless of the brand behind it regardless as long as you recognize the risk it's 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 fine right i mean i think that would be the one place part of the hobby that if if the if the economy did 
slow down or crash or whatever happens here in the next couple of years, um, it's a speculative market that I think goes first, right? And then eventually it would find the top end of the market. But I think I think it would hurt the people who are the highest risk traders out there, which is how most markets work. So the reason behind that is the people that own the Mantle 9, they have diamond hands. Uh, the people that are holding the egg card have paper hands, right? They, if, if they, if they're like, I bought this card at 600. Now it's two, I just want my 200 bucks back. This is chaos. Like, Oh my God, I'm running for the Hills. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely, definitely agree. Cage, you know, you jumped in here. Well, what's top of mind for you? Anything you want to know, anything you want to share old man, wisdom, old man, young man. No, I think it's great. I mean, we haven't had an episode quite like this. Right, because it's somebody who's taking it from, you know, it's it's overall money, right? So it's, you know, when you're able to talk about, you know, the general principles of inflation and money and why people invest in what they do and, you know, how you figure out where to put your money and cross it over from commercial real estate all the way to top shot and the friggin' egg card, you know, it just it, it tells you that, you know, just don't lose your your common sense on this stuff, right? And if you get nothing else out of this episode from this lab talk here, um, you know, that's the key, right? I mean, there are investments that are going up, but don't dive in, you know, with both feet without looking, without testing the water, you know, do your due diligence. And, you know, I'm not a huge fan of buy what you love, because then when it goes down, don't worry, you're going to love it. I mean, that's like the hobby slogan, and I hate it because I'm. St- I, if I buy something I love and it goes down to zero, I'm going to start hating it. So <laughs> yeah, I, don't yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't like that saying. But but the, the flip side to it, and what I, I think is the greatest part of this is it's rare to find something that you can make money in that you love. You know, and I'll, I've probably said this a dozen times during our 240 episodes now, but it's a, I'll, I'll bastardize it. I'll, 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 I'll paraphrase Walt Disney once said, you know, you find a job you love and you never work a day in your life. Right. So that's what I think of when you are speaking about watching basketball games and finding a way to make money off of basketball. And you obviously could have a great career, whether it would be owning gas stations or, you know, in the family business slash commercial real estate, you name it. But you, you say, you know what, with the way that the market is set up now, the way the world is set up now, I can watch basketball games, invest in the sixth man off the bench for this team and make enough money. And no one's telling me now that I can't do that. And that would be how I summarize what we talked about today. And I love it. I love it. You know, this has been a great, a great chat. Well, I'm not Popovich at the end of the road. Uh, You know, he's, this is such an interesting thing because he's, he's coaching a team that's developing rather than it's winning. So it's a new thing for him. I think he's really liking it from like what we hear in San Antonio and stuff. Like it's, it's, it's been fun for pop to kind of teach young talent again. Uh, You know, his, his wife passed away a few years ago. And I think that's honestly why he kept doing it. I think maybe he would have retired some time ago if he, if his wife was still alive and it was really sad, you know, when it happened, but uh, I think that's part of why he maybe continued to do it. Uh, He loves it. He's, I hope it's not the road. San Antonio fans are like, pop till he dies, man. You know, like I want, I want you at the helm, man. It's the greatest thing. Having an organization like the Spurs that with the continuity of a pop and a RC Buford and the ownership there, it allows the Spurs to be good every year. And you can say how boring they were, you know, in the night, in the, in the 2000s and the 2010s, I get it. I heard it all my life, but they won and it was such a fun, it was so much fun being a Spurs fan and it still is. So, well, your on the Spurs stuff. Spur. Your favorite yeah. Spur. What was that? Your favorite Spur ever. Uh, you know, from a fun standpoint, Manu's my favorite. Yes. Watching Manu come into a game and energize it the way he did, it was, he was everybody's favorite. I mean, it was, you know, Tim Duncan was the guy, he's the captain of the ship. It ran because of him. So we're all Tim Duncan fans. And Tony Parker is also great. We love all three of them, but Manu's my favorite. I love Manu. He's just a fun guy. And you'd also get really pissed off at him when he and when he'd make bad decisions because he would. He'd have bad passes or times where he'd try to get too fancy with it and throw it away, and you'd get kind of upset. But uh, there would be times where you saw some insanely incredible plays that only Manu Ginobili could make. And the so you took the good with the bad. The and all James of it was Harden. Awesome. The block huh? on James Harden. Oh yeah. Oh, all of it. I, either, you know, and then the 2013 series that he had a really bad year that year, but he came back in 2014 and that 2014 season for the Spurs, that revenge year was just, ah, oh, it was so much fun to watch because you knew they weren't going to lose. Like Spurs fans just didn't have a doubt with just, they were, the fact that they pulled it off in 2014 after losing in 2013, 
uh, just a testament to, the, to to San Antonio Spurs. You know, it's a great, it's great. So, they you, were a really good team. Did you catch the Admiral, Mr. David Robinson play? So I'm 28. By the time I was watching the Spurs, it was really basically like Tim Duncan's rookie year, which was David Robinson's last like two years in the in the league, right? So he, I think he retired in '99. He was part of the '99 championship. So, but he was like again at the tail end of his career. And the 99 championship was my like first championship that I really, I was seven. So um, I didn't really catch David Robinson, but he was always at the games and I played against David Robinson's son in school and stuff like that. I blocked David Robinson's son. Hey now. <laughs> five, seven. That was like in sixth grade. So let's not get ahead of ourselves, but he was five, seven in sixth grade and hasn't grown since. I love it. He yeah, yeah. rejected everybody in sixth grade. That's right. That's nice. That's fun stuff. Robinson was great. That was, you, you know, Kawhi, I know he's a fun guy. Overrated, underrated? Kawhi? Uh, I have such a love-hate relationship with Kawhi. Um, I think he's, I think Kawhi is really good. Like, I really do. And and the love that we had for him when he was here, because in our heads, it was like another 15 years of a dynasty. Let's go. Like, we were about to be dominant for 30 years, you know? Like, it would have been insane. But, of course, the world doesn't work that way. I still think he's really good. And the Spurs never have the drama that they had with Kawhi that year. That's not very Spurs-like. Like, a player is disgruntled with the Spurs organization. Like, what organization do you want to go to then? Like, this is the best there is, basically. He would have gone to L.A. however he was going to get to L.A. Like, it would have happened. He, he made it happen. He got traded to the Raptors, won the championship, and still left. You know, like, he was going to L.A. That was, that was decided. So, Lesson yeah. learned. If you want to become a big player, a uh, Hollywood actor, just don't talk to anyone for two years. Yeah, it, it, hey, that's gonna be tough for you. <laughs> yeah, Sean, are you shunning me? Sean, Rishan. I love your office references, by the way. Thank you. I was listening to your episode. Jordan is a big Office fan too. Uh, I'm a big Parks and Rec, Office, uh, Friends person all around. Office and Parks and Rec are my two favorite shows all time. So, I watch Parks and Rec after Office, and uh, there. When you're older, it's harder to get into shows. It just is. But that show was, I was like, this is, this is different cast, same vibe. So I'm with 100%. you 100%. Yeah, yeah. Cage, uh, unless there's anything else. I mean, this was one of my more fun ones. I love when we talk about ancillary markets. Like, I know to the naked eye, it might not seem like the housing market and uh, how much money supplies in, in the U.S. has anything to do with sports cards. But I think it's so interrelated. I think more information, more knowledge actually helps our audience learn and make good decisions. Uh, you know, if it's okay with you, Emil, like, is there, you know, do you have any principles, you know, any rules for investing? You know, I know you're 28, you're learning a lot, but you're, you're a wise man. Uh, and <laughs> what would you share, you know, with your younger self or with a younger audience member from Luca Nation? Yeah, no, uh, first of all, I appreciate that. And I am still learning a lot. I don't claim to know every, you know, I just, I, I spend a lot of time doing the research. And so when I talk about things that I, I don't talk about things I don't know, because I, I believe in the things I do know, but I will say this and, and I'll plug my, my channel on this way. The, the slap slap talk is, you know, my, my content is all about trying to actually not even pin down certain plays or exact ways to make the money, but really focus on the process behind it so that you're setting yourself up for success rather than focusing on how am I going to make the next hundred dollars, but rather how do I put myself in the position to make the next hundred dollars. And I know that's a small difference, but the idea being that let's talk about the process and let's talk about investing principles because this is all just about being good at decision-making. Like the, the difference between someone who's going to make a lot of money doing this and someone who's not going to make a lot of money doing this is right decision-making and, and, and decision-making as a whole is just about talking about it. It's about talking about the mistakes you made and talking about all that stuff. I will say from an investing standpoint, like, you know, when you do, when you make your buys, do the research and I would plan out for at least six years, six months or a year rather than two, two months. And I think that allows you to stay ahead of the market. So one thing that's helped me a ton is look for plays that are going to pay out in six months or a year rather than the ones that are going to pay out in two months because the way the market is headed right now especially in the sports card world is that people are getting smarter and if you're jumping on trains late and all that's all you're trying to do is just flip every month or two you end up get caught holding the bag at some point and one thing that's helped me is to look in places that other people are not looking while they're not looking at it 
And so staying six months a year ahead of the hobby has really helped. Um, and, and that's been a lot of fun for me. Uh, and then just from and the other investing side of it is when you do lose money and you have a card that's, uh, that's not making the money that you wanted to make. Cause we all talk about the profits we're making, but the other side of this is that a lot of us are buying cards that don't necessarily make money in the next three, four months. And so just thinking through that process of how to actually sell is a huge passion of mine too. It's like how it's not every decision to sell when you've lost money is not the right one. Right. So holding sometimes, especially when you believe in the play is the right decision. But if you don't believe in the play, sell it and move on and reinvest somewhere else, like move your portfolio. It's one of the best things about the sports card market right now is that it's fairly liquid. If you're buying cards that are fairly popular of players that are fairly relevant. Um, and so use that to your advantage and don't be afraid to kind of move and learn and, and make mistakes and buy new things. And it helps. And so like, there's been cards like my Tyler hero, for example, I just, I just cut bait on my Tyler hero. I got caught in the hype. I just did. I, I was one of those people that I just let myself get too emotional about Tyler hero, saw someone really young, you know, go off in the playoffs. And I got to attach that idea that, Oh, this guy's showing us that he's got the moxie to be a top player in the league. Tyler here's got a long career. So remember these guys have long careers. And so I got caught up in that, but what I did was I just cut bait and I'm, I, I taken that money and I'm going to put it somewhere else in a Jordan or a LeBron or a Kobe card, you know? Um, and so that's what I would do. I, I would, I would just be, pay attention to the cycles, try not to get it, you know, too caught up in the hype and the emotional side of it, because that's really easy. And that's where the mistakes are made, but that's what it's about. I love, your, I love your graphics when you were kind of showing, you know, I trade, this is how I got to my grail. I love those. I think they're so, uh, they're so educational. Do you want to touch on them at all? Like because I thought those were, there were there was kind of like leading a fish to water, right? Like you were teaching with those graphics. And I love that you put took the time to put them together. Yeah. So most where of where post- would the uh, where would the fish have been first before you're leading it to water? When you're leading a fish <laughs> lead to water, horse, where you lead the horse to water? I mean, if the fish is not in the water, you're leading a dead fish to water, and then it's just gonna float to the top. And it's gonna be weird. I guess this is why you tell me not to talk. Well, no, fish don't die just out of water. Like, it takes time. Yeah, it, yeah, I guess. You know, it's going to be flopping around and stuff weird. But, yeah. I, but would argue, I, love you. I would argue new investors, like, I'm in the stock market as a new investor. I look like a floppy fish right now. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm trying to catch GME. Nope, it's AMC. Right. Nope. Listen, I'm, so I'm lead, lead, lead this flopping fish to some water, please. That's so funny. So every <laughs> post of mine, I will say, although they're – you know, I'm having fun flexing some of the cards that I've bought. If you read the posts, I'm really trying to kind of break down the thought process and the logic behind it. And those consolidation posts that I have are part of that um, kind of uh, a desire to really just show exactly how this is done, because I don't think that this is rocket science. Like I do believe this is very learnable. This is very, if you do the research, you can make money doing this. Like there, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a testament to that. I've, I've had a lot of success in the last year and I'm happy with it because it's just about doing research. So my whole thing has always been continually find new cards, learn new markets, even if it's in players or industries that you don't necessarily want to invest in, just know what's going on. And therefore you can make the right decisions. But the idea is to, again, plan out six months, six months in advance and sell. So the consolidation points are take your profits, like sell at times. And if you're constantly doing research, then you constantly have another card that you want to buy and you can take the cards that you bought six months ago and make decisions on them, sell, buy. But again, the idea of the consolidation post is to say, don't go out of pocket, use your portfolio, whatever you've invested in the past six months. If you can't invest more, that doesn't mean you stop buying. It just means you change your portfolio. And that's the whole idea behind the consolidation is just change it. If you believe in a new opportunity, then make it happen. Sell your cards, figure out a way. If you believe in the opportunity more than you you did on the six cards that you bought six months ago, sell those six cards for the one card that you believe in more than those six cards combined. And that's- Have idea. you ever had it where you're going through the process of selling those six cards to upgrade to the one, but the one moves so quickly that the six can't catch it? So the secret is if you're constantly taking profits and keeping liquid, then you're consolidating on the back end almost. So you're freeing up cash. So like for me, it's like, I'm not necessarily selling to get my cash is that I have my cash that I have. I could buy that card when I want it, but I know the next two weeks I'm going to be selling like hell to make sure I can free up that same cash and have that as a reserve again. So 
the best way to do this is to not necessarily sell and use that money. It's to use the past money and then free it up moving forward. That's how you do it so that you can take advantage so that cards don't get away from you. Um, that's how I do it. But Have a reserve line. Have a reserve line, yeah. I love it. Last lesson, with since Tyler Hero is my guy, it's, it's not always about the performance of the player. It's the overperforming expectations. Right. So he went from be having no expectations, overperforming, to having these massive expectations of like, I don't even know, this guy's the next something. I don't know. Yeah. But, and it's that. It's the expectations more than the performance. 100%. And, and I think that's what it is. I've just got to a place with him where I was like, SGA is another guy like that, where he's overperforming and his cards are not doing anything because he's an OKC and they're a losing team. And and what does that mean? I know you guys talked about SGA last time. So, or in last in a couple episodes ago. So there's a couple guys like that. Tatum is one of those guys too, where I'm like, he, I like Tatum. I know you, I know Cage, you, you're not, you don't quite understand the Tatum buzz. Uh, I, I, I hear you on the last episode on that one, but he's another guy where I was like, I like Tatum. I'm a Tatum guy, but I'm, I'm slowly buying Tatum. So instead of trying to flip Tatum, I'm actually trying to flip guys like AD because AD is going to be in the playoffs. He's going to be in the championship round. There's going to be a ton of time for his cards. And the upside there is really big. I'm trying to flip Kawhi cards because the, because Kawhi cards took a huge dip and he's undoubtedly going to be in the championship hype. There's just no doubt about it. Whether you believe in the Clippers or not, it's just, it's really just about guessing the hype. It's not really about they're going to be right there, at least talked about again. Talked and I think about we again. Can get that uh, the Clippers Lakers season that we didn't get in the bubble. Right? So. That would be nice. Yeah, and I mean, I'd, I'd agree with you with AD. I, I think with him being injured and the Lakers struggling, the media hasn't talked about it. But like, how important is AD to that team, right? Yeah, he's he's showing it right now. Him, he's off the court. Like their defense, their offense is struggling. Their defense, he's the he's the he's the captain of that defense, and so. How come guys like Booker don't get more love, right? So here's a guy who's been a performer year in, year out. Then you're like, the market's like, but you don't win anything. Then Chris Paul comes there. They start winning, and he still doesn't get a ton of hobby love. So I think that Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, and Damian Lillard fall in this category of guys that are super hyper-talented but have been in the league for a long time. So the only way they really truly add to their pricing or, or really give themselves upside is if they win a championship. And that expectation is really high. Only one team wins the championship every year. So if, if it requires a championship win to actually have Damian Lillard be a sustainable card buy, that's a really high expectation. And that's kind of the expectation. Him being an MVP candidate, it's almost like that's Dame. Dame, Dame does that year in, year, year out. Bradley Beal, same thing. He's the highest scorer in the league right now. But he goes for, I think, like 1200 bucks or something, $1,100. Devin Booker falls in that category. He's been in the league a long time, but he's been on a losing team. I think the next guy that's going to be like that I know I'm going to get some haters for this, but Trey Young, I Trey Young's that guy for me. He's like, I think that his, he's going to be really talented, but on a bad team for a long time. And I think that there's going to be Trey Young fatigue because of it. So I would be careful about Trey Young because I don't know. They've, they've really tried to accelerate that organization's window of winning. And he's still only in year three, you know, like he's again, a long career. He could very easily be Bradley Beal. He could very easily be Damian Lillard. Really hyper talented, fun to watch. Or he could beat Steph Curry with two or three champion or three championships. You know, there's two ways that goes. I'm I'm curious. You know, as the Hawks bring in this next coach, they're obviously going to bring in a coach that loves Trey Young because the last coach that you just saw reports of friction, and I would see a little. I think you'll see a little pop of Trey Young cards as they whether that's this the end of this year or going into next season. I think you're going to see a pop, but I don't, I would never hold Trey Young long-term. I'm not a believer. Yeah. And it's the discussion becomes like, there's going to be a lot of these guys, especially like in the second half of the season that will see little pops because they're going to start performing while people start watching again, because keep in mind, most people are watching the, the regular fans watching basketball post all-star break, right? They're not really watching right now as much. And so you're going to see a lot of new fans coming in post all-star break. And so guys are going to see a little bit of a bump. My question to you is like, are you going to slow play the Zion play or are you going to go heavy on Zion right now when he's going to get eliminated in the first round, even if they make the playoffs? Like, so it's, it's kind of how you do it. Right. And so for, if you're investing in Zion right now, I would say buy Zion, buy lower pop optic hollows, court sides, buy lower pop 
Zions and be willing to maybe hold that, but do it slower so that you're flipping other stuff to make room for your long-term plays. But Zion should be a long-term hold. John Moran should be a long-term hold right now. Not necessarily short-term guys, because there's going to be a cap on their prices once they start getting eliminated from the playoffs. So. I love it, brother. I hope we do this again. Your wealth of knowledge. This is hands down one of my more favorite episodes. Uh, maybe it's because they're right around the same age, right around the same kind of upbringing and, it's, it's cool. I've learned a lot from this. I think that Luca Nation will learn a lot from it. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Emil. I appreciate thank it. I hope nice. you have a great time at the Dallas show next weekend. We're jealous that we won't be there. Uh, enjoy, brother. Thank you for everything. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thank you for spending some time with us on another episode of the Luca's Tigers and Bronze Oh My podcast. Um, do us a favor and like, subscribe. Now nah, you know what? Don't just like and subscribe. Everybody does that. If you like us, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your enemies, tell everybody. And uh, we hope you got something from spending some time with us today, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.